somebody called this like uh, making an art of sharing too much, <laughs> of too much information, right? is an exciting moment to say welcome back to No Script, the theater podcast. We're going to have an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Yes, welcome back, everybody. Excited to be back after our brief hiatus over the summer. Excited to get to have more conversations with each other and all of you out there in the podcast world. Right. We we say welcome back a lot. It's a typical introduction phrase for us, but we're usually talking about every week. Welcome back after a week. Yeah. And now it's like welcome back after many weeks. It's really good to be back into these conversations. Yes, definitely. It's been, you know, it's it's nice, you know, to kind of take a break, recharge, but but it's good to be back in it and getting to jump back. We're starting off uh, in, in a similar but very different vein. We ended with a musical and we're starting with a musical. There's a yeah. There's a nice continuity to the end of season six, and today on the day that is the first episode of another season of No Script, as we can kind of survey the landscape that's ahead of us. We talked about this at the end of last season too, but it is gonna be a really good season. I am really excited about some of the plays we're gonna talk about. Yeah, it's true. We got a good themed month that we're playing with. We have good guests coming on the show. And yeah, it's just going to be a chock full season again of great plays, great conversations, great uh, themes that we're playing with. So get excited for the full uh, season of that. And as Jackson teased, we are beginning this season with a musical. And the reason why we're doing that, as longtime listeners of No Script will know, is that the first episode of every season of No Script is kind of special or set aside in some way. For the first cup while on No Script, we did Lynn Nottage plays, Lynn Nottage being one of the most amazing playwrights living right now. So we did her plays for a while. And then we kind of switched into doing very recent Pulitzer Prize winners as the beginning of every season. And so there's only one Pulitzer Prize released every year, and there's two seasons of No Script released every year. So we switch back and forth between the most recent Pulitzer Prize winner and also then just another recent Pulitzer Prize winner. So we are beginning this season with the Pulitzer Prize winning play from 2020, Michael R. Jackson's musical, A Strange Loop. Yes, that's right. In the long tradition now of us talking about Pulitzers, I think we're all the way back to like 2001 or something like that. We've talked about every Pulitzer Prize winning play back to 2001. We're jumping into another conversation today around A Strange Loop, a brand new, very new musical 2019. Uh, so so yeah, it's, it's, it's the 2020 Pulitzer Prize winner. So excited to get to have a conversation around that. Yeah, it, it opened off Broadway and then as it was about to enter the cusp of popularity because of all the awards that it won. And we'll, of course, talk about all of those as we get to our much-loved context section. Uh, just as it was about to bridge that gap of popularity, the world shut down. Right, right. I feel like that's just going to be like a, a historical moment in theater for a while. All these plays that were written and kind of uh, coming up in 2019 and uh, and starting to kind of get, get uh, a hold in 2020. And we'll be saying... 
I think, for years. And then COVID-19 happened. And it had, like, that'll just be part of the narrative of playwriting from those two years for a while. I I think it will be fascinating to look back with kind of an analytical, historical lens and see what happened to this group of works that were created and were kind of coming into their own in, call it 2019 and the early part of 2020. Do their chances for long-term success and presence in the culture, are they a little bit derailed? Are we going to see that earlier plays have longer staying power and plays written during and after COVID-19 have a longer staying power than the plays that were written just before COVID and didn't ever get that chance to get their foothold of early runs because of the pandemic? It's true, yeah. And, and then, of course, also, the it'll just be interesting to see what sort of plays come out of that kind of shared cultural moment of the, the tragedy that COVID-19 was. So it's going to be it's going to be an interesting test. It'll be exciting to get to talk about those and exciting to get to jump into this play in a moment. Before we do, though, right here at the top of the show and at the top of the season, we want to say thank you to all of our patrons over on patreon.com slash no script podcast. Thank you all so much for being a part of supporting the show, being a part of the community of No Script, the podcast, and being uh, ensuring that we're able to continue having these conversations. We love getting to have this show, getting to have these conversations, talk about theater, talk about theater's best scripts with each other and all of you out there. Um, th- there's costs associated with the show and the patrons help out enormously in, in supporting the show. So if you're looking for a way to get involved with the No Script community, to uh, be a part of the kind of patron-only posts that happen over there, uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash podcast and you'll find a number of different tiers of uh, patronship over there, and it's just a great way to get involved in the community and support the show. So thank you to all of our patrons, and if you're looking for a place to be a part of NoScript, head on over to patreon.com slash Podcast. Thanks very much to those who are supporting us. It means a heck of a lot, especially on the cusp of a new season, to know that yeah. this next season is possible because we're supported. That is an incredible feeling. And now... Back to the script. Here we go. You notice that the voice there has kind of morphed? Yeah. There, there was more of like uh-huh. a deep announcer voice, and now I'm <laughs> now doing more like... of like a s- almost British, like <laughs> right. kind of reflective narrator voice. Yeah, sitting in a study with a leather chair sort of you thing. You should go and edit out all of the little back to the script ones and create a little, <laughs> you can see the progression. Compilation, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, A Strange Loop, uh, this is a, a musical that is written and composed, and the lyrics were written by Michael R. Jackson. One reviewer said something that I thought was sort of apt, which is typically being the threefold creator of a musical like that is sort of death because it's musicals are so hard to create and get out there that if you're one person doing it, there's going to be some some things that just don't quite make it happen outside of that, unless you're Lin-Manuel Miranda. But uh, Michael R. <laughs> Jackson made it happen, and it, it, he created something that is incredible, uh, really himself as the writer of the book and the music and the lyrics. On his website, he describes himself as a playwright, composer, lyricist, and trash talker. So you can see that sort of <laughs> witty, punny sense of humor there. Uh, he is a BFA and MFA in playwriting from NYU. He's a songwriter, too, and and prior to some of his more recent playwriting success and notoriety, he had quite a bit of songs that were kind of produced all over, especially as part of some like musical theater review type things. Um, 
He is the winner of the 2017 Lincoln Center Emerging Artist Award. That's an award that's awarded every year to sort of a group of emerging artists. Um, he won a Jonathan Larson grant. He was the Sundance Theater Institute Composer Fellow one year. Um, in 2018, New York Times named him one of the black male writers for our times. He's also an alum of the Page 73's Interstate 73 Writers Group. And that's notable because Page 73 was was one of the uh, partners on the initial production of A Strange Loop. A Strange Loop uh, had its development at the Musical Theater Factory and then had its world premiere at Playwrights Horizon, which is, I mean, in incredible. Playwrights Horizon is famous, amazing, awesome New York theater. And to have a world premiere at a place like that, I think, is just an honor in and of itself. Because of COVID-19, it didn't really ever, I don't think, get the chance to transfer over to Broadway. And as you'll hear when Jackson tells you what it's about and as we discuss it, I'm not sure what kind of life it would have had on Broadway. It's sort of an interesting imagination. Um, there was a production scheduled to happen at the Woolly Mammoth Theater, another regional professional house um, in D.C., great theater there. That, of course, was cut down by COVID, scheduled to be remounted, I think, later this year. So yeah, I think awesome. in the fall, yeah. Yeah. Um, it is Strange Loop is the 2020 winner of the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. It's the first musical written by a black man to win the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. And it's the first musical without a Broadway run to win the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. So it's yeah. taken some history there. Um, it is also it won New York Drama Critics Award. It won two Drama Desk Awards, two Obie Awards, two Outer Critics Circle Award honors. Uh, won an Antonio Award for the best book. I mean, very well-lauded musical. And as another well-lauded piece, Lin-Manuel Miranda picked A Strange Loop as the monthly staff pick at Drama Bookshop, which is, I think, an award as much as anything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so all of that is just sort of part of the emergence of this musical onto the stage. And then as we just discussed, the the just the blankness after that because of COVID-19. I mean, it's almost painful to see the way this musical started and had this chance. And I, I, it's so fascinating to wonder what the chance is going to be like after this big, long break of COVID-19 for all these shows that were coming into their own. Yeah, I know. It's true. It'll be great to see the journey that it has, especially with all the awards you mentioned and the the energy around it that 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 hopefully is going to carry into this upcoming remounting of the show, hopefully in the fall or, or January. I can't quite remember which one, but sometime coming up soon. I do want to just give us a, a, a short synopsis of the play that uh, before we jump into the conversation. This is probably a good time. We, we tend to like try to warn you about plays with, uh, with a mature content in it, and this play certainly has mature content in it. So uh, if you happen to be listening to it in the car or or at work or something like that, might be a good headphones uh, play to listen to. Um, but uh, I try to give you just a heads up on that. I think it's also probably the right moment for us to recognize, as we try to do when it's especially relevant, and it is for this play, who Jackson and I are, our own cultural situation, our own, I'm sure, implicit bias, um, and just who we are, right? We are white guys, um, and this is a play about a gay black man and about the experience of being a gay black man in the world and in theater. That is not an experience that Jackson and I have. Exactly. Um, and, and we're going to do our best to talk about what is in the script, what is inspiring in the script, what is well-structured, how the play works as we try to do. But 
you know, this this is a play that's not about us, really, and it's not even necessarily for us. Um, we we want to talk about it because this podcast is a place to talk about theater's best scripts. And as you heard in the context, this is one of theater's best scripts to come out in the past two or three years. So it's important to have the conversations, but it's, it's important to say on the front end where we come from and who we are and to encourage you all to listen to other voices. Michael R. Jackson has got some great interviews about the play. There are some great reviews written from lots of different perspectives that you could check out alongside of our conversation on this podcast, and you should. Yeah, absolutely. Check out all those sources. And and yeah, we're in some ways like there I believe there's a line in the play somewhere about theater being a space that is dominated by white male cisgendered straight guys and that's who we are. That's, <laughs> that's who we are. Yeah, right. So, I mean, there's no change in who we are. We are who we are, but yeah. that doesn't mean that conversations about a script like this aren't important to have. They are. They're crucially important to have. We're excited to do it, but want to just let you know on the front end that that's who we are as we engage the script. With all that said, I'm going to jump into the synopsis of the play. This play is about Usher. Now, Usher is, I'm just going to read the character description that is given in the play. Um, Usher, a fat American black gay man of high intelligence, low self-image, and deep feelings. He writes stories and songs and wants desperately to be heard. A musical theater writer and Broadway Usher. So uh, his name is Usher, and he is a Broadway Usher. Um, we, we start the play uh, right there, and the, the play is about, it's about him and about his journey trying to write uh, a musical about a man named Usher who is writing a Broadway musical, uh, about a man named Usher who is writing a Broadway musical and, and on the strange loop goes. Um, so so I, in fact, I'll, I'll just I'll read another line from it that the character in fact sums up the, the play that he's writing. He's trying to explain the play he's writing to someone. He says, it's about a black gay man writing a musical about a black gay man who's writing a musical about a black gay man who's writing a musical about a black gay man, etc. Um, so so yeah, that's that's what this play is about. The other characters in the play are thoughts one through six, and I'll also just really briefly read the uh, the description of them: a, a spectrum of bodies that are Usher's perceptions of reality inside and out. They come in many shapes and sizes, but they are all black, and they are as individual in expression as they are a unit. So. Those are the, the characters, six other uh, uh, characters in addition to Usher. And uh, the, the play centers on Usher's journey as he's trying to write this musical. Um, uh, he's, he's an Usher for, for uh, Disney's production of Lion King. And, uh, and he's, he's trying to write this, this kind of self-expressive play um, about, about his journey in some ways and about what it's like being a, a black queer man in theater society. Um, the, 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 uh, as you, as you kind of delve into the second tier of Usher, the one who is writing the play, um, you, you hear about his struggles with his family and, uh, their goals for him and their desires for, uh, what they wanted from him. Uh, his mother wants, uh, wanted him to be kind of a, 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 a gospel play writing playwright right um who uh kind of puts together tyler perry-esque sorts of plays which is a a big deal in the script uh, there's a whole couple of numbers devoted to him trying to buck the tyler perry stereotype um 
and also his his struggles being a, a queer man in New York and in in a in a and the, the the dating world around that. Um. So so you get kind of these vignettes and these different uh pieces of of his journey as he as he navigates the struggles of writing the play, um and and then all the different thoughts and voices that feed into him as he's trying to write the play. Thoughts and voices of insecurity, of of judgment, of doubt, of hope. All of these thoughts kind of swirl around him in amorphous characters. Um, eventually, towards the end of uh, the, or the, the, the last third of the play, two of the thoughts, I think uh, three and two or four and two, doesn't super matter, um, but uh, become his mother and father more significantly. They re 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 reprise their role as the mother and father more and more towards the end of the play. It's kind of the whole play is about negotiating the writing of the play itself. There's often breaks where you go to kind of the top level Usher character, um, and he's having conversations with his thoughts about how he should end the play, what's going to be the best way to represent uh, the story that he's wanting to tell, and then outside voices all chiming in, his agent trying to get him to ghostwrite for Tyler Perry, um, uh, people giving him advice about how to structure his play well or not, um, and all these uh, beautiful music numbers that all speak to the struggle that he's going through in all of these spheres, with family, with dating, with relationships, with sex, with uh, writing the musical, all of these things kind of come to a head in the music itself, and it's just a, a kind of a nonstop blitz throughout the whole play of of his internal monologue mixed with uh, uh, multi tiers of personality, multi tiers of drama around family and life as as a black queer man in the theater world. So, as you just described with the character list, the the it's at like the very, very top level, the only characters, and I'm using air quotes you can't see, in the play are Usher and the Thoughts, right? But these six thoughts play a wide variety of the other people in Usher's life. It, you know, if, if, if you're having a hard time imagining, it's probably useful for you to think of the thoughts as like a chorus um, uh, that they each take on sometimes individual roles as people in Usher's life. At one point, one of the thoughts becomes a guy who's hitting on Usher on the train. At one point, one of the thoughts becomes a guy that Usher is hooking up with uh, in one of the suburbs of New York City. And and then at times they play characters as a group. At one point, Usher is having a phone conversation with his mother, and all of the thoughts are playing his mother together. And if you look at trailers of the Playwrights Horizon, there's a great staging of that where Usher's at his piano, and all of the thoughts are sort of surrounding him in the piano, all wearing the same pink bathrobe with a big cross uh, stitched into the lapel. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautifully imagine imaginative scene where everyone kind of becomes the voice and the constant press of his mother, who you know that he loves and also has this tension with around her expectations for him. Uh, they will, that that particular staging, I think I saw the same one. He like tries to get up occasionally, and they like grab him and sit him back down and like <laughs> get him to continue listening to the song that they're singing to him. Which but that, yeah, that that moment, that staging is, I think, a great example of what this musical is, right? Because that conversation is a conversation he's having with his mother on the phone. Right. So, I mean, his mother on the phone is not able to sit him back down in the chair physically. But his mother on the phone is not also six people at the same time, <laughs> right? So the musical lives in this world of non-reality. 
And and that's part of what the strange loop is that makes up the title is this world of Usher dealing with his own perceptions of himself and the world around him. And that's why I think it's so crucial that the thoughts are not there. It's not as if Michael R. Jackson has written um, specific characters of the people in his life. What he's written is very, very obviously and on the page, his own perceptions of the people in his life. And he has manifested that. He's made that clear by, by having thoughts play those characters. So when it says that it is mother or his father or the guy hitting on him on the train or the patron at the Lion King, it, those are not character names listed. It says thought four plays or thought five plays or the, the thoughts play this character as a group. And I, and I, th- I found that kind of a nice way to help me remember the reality that I'm living in as I'm experiencing the play by reading it, that these are not characters in the sense of being uh fully embodied any sense of like re fully embodied is maybe not what i mean but i mean uh it's not michael r jackson's attempt to create like a real portrait of these people he is very much acknowledging and he does this in interviews that everything he's putting on the stage and in the musical and in his own life is a perception of these people created in his own head yeah, it's like an abstracting of the character, and I like I like the perception, like his own perception of them. That continues in the way that he names even his family characters. The Lion King is 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 clearly a uh, a prevalent theme for Usher. His being an Usher at the show, he's he sees it over and over. Um, and at least initially, uh, his family refers to each other with names from the Lion King. So the dad is Mufasa, the mom is Sarabi, uh, the 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 sister or the niece. Uh, is is Nala, etc. There's Rafiki, and and so they, they, there's this kind of like abstract sense of like you can't quite nail down uh, who the thoughts are playing, but you kind of play the game, and eventually you're like, okay, so Mufasa is dad, got it, and then you then you continue on, but you keep you keep the uh, the looseness of the characters, or rather the looseness of the thoughts, so that they can continue becoming new characters. And in dealing with his perceptions of himself and the people around him, and this is, I think, where some of the like philosophical, pseudoscientific, sociological concepts of the strange loop, which is kind of the concept for the play and also like an idea in the world, is that the, the perceptions are sort of layered on um, like signposts. So the play has a number of really specific references that help Usher to kind of contextualize, argue with, uh, physicalize, and verbalize the experiences that he's having. Of course, uh, Tyler Perry and the whole world of Tyler Perry's sort of gospel stage plays from the 90s and early 2000s, that's a big one. Um, And it occupies a lot of the middle and especially the climactic scene confrontation with Usher's parents at the end of the play. But the color purple is throughout. Um, References to Beyonce and Rihanna are throughout. The Lion King, as we've already discussed. The Wizard of Oz. Even the name of the character is a reference, right? Because the, the playwright is named Michael R. Jackson, okay? So he's a songwriter. Michael Jackson was a songwriter. So he names this sort of semi-autobiographical character Usher. Usher is a famous musical person, but it's also a reference to his job in the way that right. his own name, Michael R. Jackson, is a reference to his job, like Michael Jackson. So there's all of those kinds of layerings that kind of create the world of the play 
And that's part of the commentary, that our, our own worlds are created like that. They're built on these signposts, these cultural references that we ingrain and that help us understand what's going on around us. Right, and often recurring themes or narratives that, that culture tells you about. And and part of it is the struggle around whether or not he's going to uh, uh, kind of give up on his creative vision for this uh, this this really, it's, it's not quite autobiographical piece, but it's certainly uh, speaking to his location, um, to, to be successful or to, um, to, you know, be paid for something or to please, uh, his parents or to, uh, to be, yeah, just to, to, to be, to be successful in the theater world. So you have that kind of tension of these signposts that keep recurring, both ones that he wants to be there and ones that are a part of a society and a system that that is is surrounding him that is making it hard for him to pursue the dream that he has and the the conflict of this gospel play idea that this goal that his parents have for him um, it is really becomes kind of one of the central metaphorical concepts or conflicts that drive what of the play is a more typical structure because the gospel play represents both of what it seems like to me are the major conflicts that Usher has with his parents, which is on the one hand, his artistic uh, identity. I think he even says at one point that it's about time in the musical where I reveal my artistic identity to my parents or, or whatever he right. says that's similar to that. And then at the same time, his queerness, which is a major source of conflict with his parents who have a particular Christian theology, which is anti-queer, right? It's a, it's a sin. You're going to burn in hell. There are a number of songs on that particular theme. And so in writing or not writing and how he's going to imagine this Tyler Perry-esque God gospel play, that both of those conflicts kind of come to the forefront because it deals with his artistic identity, his artistic integrity, his sense of writing and comedy and content that he's at odds with his parents about. But also the gospel play had would have that same particular theology that his parents hold that creates so much strife with his parents about his queerness. Yeah, yeah, the songs that are that are based around this conflict that we're talking about, the two the twofold conflict of of his parents wanting him to write Tyler Perry-esque musicals and and the the um the the kind of unsupportive nature of 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 the the the, the his kind of church upbringing for the his sexual identity um the songs that that he's that he writes to to address these are just like smackdown brutal sort of sorts of songs the Tyler Perry songs uh there's 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 some uh conversation in interviews with uh with Jackson about how he had a conversation with Tyler Perry eventually and it was kind of like an awkward conversation because yeah. um, <laughs> because he yeah he, I mean I mean, he really starts to kind of pick apart the the trope of of the Tyler Perry musical and and kind of uh, uh, makes 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 light of it and and mocks it through thoroughly throughout the play. But also, I mean, 
that's maybe the lighter side of it, but there's a more serious side of it. I mean, my, Jackson accuses the that kind of representation of blackness and even uh, faith to be uh, r- a really negative, ultimately bad thing for black people in general. I mean, at, at one point he compares it to like illness or disease in the black yeah. community, that, that creating these portrayals, these really formulaic, stereotypical portrayals, Jackson's perspective is that they're really negatively impact black art and black people in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. Just to be clear, we're t- when we say Jackson, we're talking about the playwright. That's true. Right. Yeah, that's, a, that's a confusing point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. No, over and over like that, that kind of cri- that kind of deep critique as well. I'm thinking of the uh, the, the I mean, the, the really hard song to listen to the the kind of uh, the precious little dream and AIDS as God pun- as God's punishment song, um, which is a song where he really uh, pulls no punches about how uh, the church has taken this kind of terrible stance of AIDS is God's God's punishment to the queer community. So, so there's a lot of like the, the kind of deep. You see, the, the character is is working through so much of this trauma from his childhood upgrim, upbringing and and the way that the system works around him, and even the system that he's currently in. Right, like the queer community in New York. Even that system is is not one that is kind of helping him flourish in this time either. So over and over, these songs are kind of uh, unraveling uh, and picking at these these deep held uh, traumas of the character and and how he's trying to uh, live and and flourish in spite of them. And there's this ongoing conflict too with uh, with formula and structure. And that becomes very specifically kind of critiqued in the in the formulaic nature of this sort of Tyler Perry stage play that he critiques. He when he's asked to write one, he's given a whole list of you got to write this type of person and this type of person and this type of person, and ultimately they got to go on this lesson and this lesson and this lesson. Very formulaic, and that's a very specific critique. But then also in all of his dealings with literary critics and agents, there's this constant refrain of put some structure in it, let the audience know when it's time to go home build a more formulaic more structural musical as opposed to of course what the usher is trying to write and then of course michael r jackson above him this uh, strange loop where things keep looping back and in on themselves perceptions deal with perceptions deal with other perceptions and loop back to those same perceptions the first hand kind of an anti-formulaic musical experience and then there are moments where musical kind of standard traditional musical formula creep in. I mean, you think about the first two songs of the musical and in my sense of them, they're about as standard as it gets, right? You have a hello world opening number, right? And, and, And while the world that we're living in is a little more unique, right? It's not like lights up on Washington Heights, right? Where you just introduce kind of the neighborhood. The world that we're living in is a self-referential, autobiographical, musical, about musicals and about writing a musical. And so we get this refrain, and I'm going to swear because the swearing's in the musical, of big black and queer acts, American Broadway, that goes on through. And so he's introducing us to his conception of this musical, of musicals, of commentary. But it's still a, a Hello World song. This is the world. And he uses the thoughts in a, several different ways in that song to introduce us to how the thoughts are going to play characters, are going to play his own thoughts, are going to play his own depression. 
Yeah, and then yeah. we go on into the second song, and of course, in a, in a more standard formulaic Broadway musical, the second song is often called the I Want song, and it's the character, typically the protagonist, sings typically a solo, singing about what their goal is for this show, for this time. And he has named it Today, which of course, you know, why are we watching this musical today is, a, is, an, is an oft question. And why are we watching this today? Because he's decided that today he's not going to make any compromises. Today he's going to make a big life change forever. And he's, he sings about what his goals are, how he wants to change, how he wants to break the cycle so ingrained in me. Change comes way too slow and I am in a hurry. There's all of this rejection which brings such misery, but with my white girl music I'll drown out the flurry of today yeah yeah no that 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 is kind of uh the the yeah the dream the dream sequence of 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 the show and he, he kind of talks about how how he wants to leave his job or he wants the character to get fired from his job early so that he is able to focus on writing the play all the time so you you have the i agree that there are there are times when the play has these kind of um uh, uh typical nods to what a classic Broadway musical is. And yet then over and over, then there's all these sorts of moments where he turns it on its head as well, where where the, the play is something completely different. And I think part of that is the kind of imaginative, fluid uh, characters of the thoughts. Because I like we mentioned, or I think you mentioned early on that there's a kind of chorus element to them, which is which is certainly true. And yet they they defy all the norms of the chorus too. Like they become this kind of uh, really kind of uh, flowing discourse of his thoughts and characters and somehow like somehow they are distinct uh, from him and somehow they are him at the same time it's this this beautiful interplay um, of of this ride of it, it feels like you're kind of going to another layer of his psyche each time that you meet a new character that the thoughts are playing the thoughts remind me and it's interesting that we just talked about this musical at the end of season six so perhaps that's why it's on my mind but they, the thoughts kind of remind me of Bob Bobby's friends in the musical company. And, and in our last discussion, however many months ago, about company, we discussed how the musical mostly takes place in Bobby's head, right? Well, that sounds a little bit like Strange Loop. So yeah. if that's true, then the, the friends in company really are thoughts like they are in the Strange Loop. And what do the friends in company do? They sing all of the things that go on in Bobby's head, all the things about each other and about the world and about friendship and marriage and all this stuff that he's working through they sing it back at him and they play, play scenes at him to help him process. Now, the difference is in company, those friends are set characters. They're a group of couples and, and with, a, with occasional doubling just for the sake of the musical, they're, they're largely those characters. And they do things out of character for those characters, but they're not like this group where the thoughts are... Um, these nebulous beings of imagination that through the magic of stage play can play different characters, but don't necessarily have a, a character in and of themselves. Yeah, at one point they they become like historical characters, like Harriet Tubman and 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 Whitney Houston and and all these all these sorts of characters who come on and and have the power to rebuke him for his his uh, lack of willingness to jump in on a Tyler Perry musical. Um, so so yeah, there there is this there is this. Um, 
almost magical fluidity about all these characters that they and and that, that that they're very easily able to kind of flip between these different modes of existence while still holding down enough uh, uh, consistent character to play characters like the mother and the father of the of the play and, and how they how well it's really it's i mean it was i was about to say how those characters that they're playing change over the course of the play is somewhat our experience somewhat of the journey but of course all that is really just about how usher's perception of those characters change throughout the course of the play and that i think is what is so unique about the experience of the musical is how upfront Michael R. Jackson is about this being a play experienced through sort of one person's perspective on all of these different people. And so whatever character change these people around Usher are going through is only a change of Usher's perception of them, which is fascinating. I mean, you think about like a Lynn Nottage play and you have uh, one character and another character and they're both changing through the course of the play and those characters are individuals experiencing change. But in this play, any of the change represented in the thoughts and the characters that the thoughts plays is really just a point back to a change in Usher himself. Yeah, that is one of the kind of interesting things to try to pick apart in this play. You have the the kind of strange loop, right? The play within the play within the play within the play sort of thing. But also the the uh, evolution of his perception of characters. I think he's pretty much one of the the the, the most. Uh, refined versions of that is his relationship with his parents. That's kind of the most significant journey we go on is, is he's kind of in a tenuous peace with his parents at the start of the play. They uh, have disagreements about his, the way he lives life and uh, the sort of plays he writes about his sexuality. And he slowly through the play uh, becomes more honest with them and is able to, to uh, change his, per his perception of them enough that he is he is able to especially uh, criticize uh, his dad's position and his beliefs on 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 uh, Usher's life and uh, be honest to his his mom as well about she she has some kind of held stuff about uh, embarrassment of him writing a play about them in some way and he's able to say I'm writing it because I love you guys not because I hate you guys but because I love you guys. Right, so there's this big climactic song at the moment of real confrontation between Usher and his parents where he puts on what he calls his version of a gospel play, which is him playing this fire and brimstone preacher, and they sing, I think you've already mentioned, this kind of heartbreaking but riotous gospel music song about AIDS being God's punishment to the gay community and, and the gay community going to hell because of their choices, and he's singing all of the painful things that have been said to him as he plays this preacher character. And the mother character finally kind of interrupts that song at the end to stop the music, stop the music, stop the music. And he, Usher says, I'm going to read you two lines here. He says, you wanted a gospel play. This is the only way I knew how to do it. And again, a thought playing the mother says, oh, Usher, you are loved, you are loved, you are loved, and you're so talented. I had no idea you were struggling like this, and poor, poor Darnell really brought a tear to my eye. Because if he hadn't been out there living that gay lifestyle, he would still be here, just like the pastor in the play stead. But at least we still got you. We want you to go up and not down. So we're going to get you on the right track if it's the last thing we do, and it might just be. Now, that that little monologue represents some change 
in the mother's relationship with Usher, right? She's now heard out his pain and is trying the best way she knows how, even though it's not quite what Usher wants to hear. It's some of it to to express her love for him. But in this strange loop world, we know that really what's happening is that Usher is changing his perception of who his mother is in that monologue. And that is manifested in his thoughts, giving him a monologue (laughs) that his mother might say that is some of what he wants to hear, but not all of what he wants to hear. And in that way, this is, it's, I mean, it is sort of, there's seven actors, but it's like a one-man show in that everything is about this one person's perception of all these people. Yeah, no, no, and I think I think at one point some of these, as as uh, Michael R. Jackson was writing this musical, some version of it was a one man show, um, and and uh, but it's not not what he landed on eventually, but it still carries over that like strong internal monologue um, and kind of window into what writing a really personal play about um, uh, that again is not uh, not necessarily an autobiography, but is in but is still in fact very personal. That is still, uh, in fact, very true. In fact, over and over in the play, uh, that's kind of the critique that his parents keep throwing at him is that Tyler Perry writes about real life. Um, and, and, this this in some ways the, the this play is is claiming the real life of of the character Usher um, that that he too is writing about real life and he has to do it in the way that 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 he decides how to do it. Yeah, and the real life that Michael R. Jackson is trying to present, you can hear this in several interviews, which I thought was really interesting. He he's he's really it's important to him to be truthful. That's very clear, but also non glamorous in his truth, right? What he's presenting is not the sharp, suave, uh, funny, intelligent moments of Usher's life, of his life. He's presenting the embarrassing, self-doubting, um, uncomfortable, uh, inappropriate uh, inner thoughts that you should never let out. Uh, somebody called this like uh, making an art of sharing too much, <laughs> of too much information, right? Um, and then there's this other part where he, uh, Michael R. Jackson really set out, uh, and it's important to him to present a non-traumatic view of black queerness in that there is difficulty. I mean, obviously, Usher is going through an incredibly difficult thing, uh, but and then this is his wording, Michael R. Jackson's wording. The difficulty it does not necessarily have to be about the destruction of Usher's body. Right? This is not about that. It is about real, non-glamorous difficulty that uh, a black queer person might go through or even just this black queer person goes through. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's that's a fine line to walk, right? And I think it manages to get pulled off in the show of this like this this internal monologue, internal thoughts um, uh, that doesn't cross the somehow doesn't cross the line into being traumatic. Um, that's that's a that's a hard thing to accomplish, and and I think the character of Usher welcomes the audience in in as much a, a way as as is possible to that space into this uh, space of him trying so hard um, to to. Uh, thrive in these spaces um, and and just kind of being met consistently with this constant pressure of his thoughts of the world around him of all the of all the people uh, in his life and and of the the the, the the system that he's trying to work his way up into 
Yeah, and the, the musical ends up being then this sort of duet of personal too much sharing art <laughs> and uh, adept uh, social commentary from a, a unique perspective, Michael R. Jackson's perspective. And when those two things tie together, the musical is at its strongest and its most heartbreaking and its most poignant. And the moment for me that was one of the first moments in the musical where I really sort of gasped in experiencing it is the first time through when he sings the chorus, um, white girls can do anything, can't they? Black boys must always obey their mothers. It is a dual moment of sharing too much of that inner dialogue, the kind of thing you wouldn't really share. Right. Uh, but you're going to do it for some reason because it's now everybody's going to see it instead of just like your close families and friends. <laughs> millions of people are going to see things that you wouldn't really tell people are going on in your head. It's a, that personal, deeply specific perspective that you wouldn't share, and it's part social commentary, really unique, specific, sharp social commentary that combines into a moment that just makes you gasp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and uh, and other songs like like uh, like I think of a memory song towards the end of the play have that kind of similar uh, super uh, revealing, uh, super uh, honest, um, and and to to the point that you find yourself often kind of sitting there going like, boy, this is really personal. I, I should like share something back, um, <laughs> or, or 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 something like that. And I think that's the other powerful part of this play is you leave it saying, boy, stuff has been kind of shook shook up in me and I want to have a conversation about it. I want to, you know, talk about uh, uh, what what sort of, you know, empathy. We, we've talked talked about fear and empathy before in tragedy, and this isn't a tragedy necessarily. Um, but that that same kind of shaking up of feelings um, happens in this play, and and you 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 engage someone else's story told really honestly, um, and and that that has an effect on you, and it shakes things loose, and it starts good conversations, which is what theater is so good at, and what Michael R. Jackson is so good at with this play. And in that honesty, that sharing too much, that non-glamorous uh, portrait is where the musical gets into, you know, what people talk about when they watch musical some is like the what is inappropriate, whatever that means in quotation yeah. marks in the musical. It, I mean, it, it, the songs are highly sexual in that only in that they are willing to portray Usher's thoughts about sex as he has them, both the positive and the negative, the lustful and the 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 sort relational of worried or, distance relational. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a sex scene that happens on, in the play, but it's not a glamorous beautiful romantic candlelight sex scene that you might find in any other Broadway musical that you've ever seen. Right. Um, this is a, a complicated, uncomfortable sex scene that's uncomfortable for the character in it and for the audience watching it. And there's so much of that conversation in the play because Michael R. Jackson is willing to say, these are my thoughts told through the character Usher, even as even thoughts you may not really want to hear. Right. <laughs> Here they are. That's what creates that honesty and frankness, but what also creates a sort of shock at hearing said aloud those things that you would say, I would never say that. Right, right. And and some of it is this kind of uh, overwashing that happens or, or washing over, I guess is the actual way that I want to say that. Um, the, the washing over effect that this play has, because it is like the pace of it uh, 
is consistent throughout. It doesn't let up, and it doesn't uh, let up on its on its on its level of honesty either. So when you you hit a scene that that is particularly jarring, you're you're in another one very quickly, um, and and you're you're still kind of grappling with whatever happened in that last scene, but you're already moving on to a, a, another really heartfelt um, uh, uh, monologue or conversation or thought pattern that that he's on, and so you have all of these all of these this kind of frenetic energy around these free flow of thoughts and characters um, that that provides just like a wild ride wild hour and I don't know 10 minute ride hour and a half ride that you go on in the play and it's what is so great or at least one of the things that's so great about the musical is that that wild ride right this experience that you're just along for that feels like a roller coaster or a water slide or something things happens after things happen it's just ups and downs and all this dr- drama that jackson was just talking about is just the drama of someone's thoughts right it's the interior I mean, isn't monologue that incredible yeah. this is a play that is an interior monologue now he has manifested that monologue in six thoughts that talk to him and about him and play characters and such. But whatever drama and wild energy, the things that break your heart, that make you laugh, that make you really uncomfortable, is just the drama of a mind. Yeah, it's it's it is wild <laughs> um, to to kind of uh, step back and view that, and and the end of the play kind of helps bring that home. Like if you've forgotten in during the course of the play, um, you kind of have this moment where you wonder if the play is ending. The characters wonder if the play is ending, but they in fact. Uh, assert that it can't truly end. The audience can't truly go home until the character of Usher faces himself. And they say that line over and over, faces himself. And then we get the title song of the play, A Strange Loop, which says exactly what we what, we, what you just said, Jacob, about, about how the, the uh, this is all an interior monologue, all of these struggles, all of these things that, that we've, we've, we've listened to for the past play um, are all just banging around in Usher's head. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, need in order to to live with them and and try to craft some sort of flourishing or continued uh, a life creative life for himself, he has to face them himself. He has to look at them, write about them, honor them, and continue to live with them. And of course, that ending song is a payoff of the Today song, which is the I Want song that we talked about from the beginning of the play. And it, it creates some sort of cohesive experience, which is an exploration of I. And that's what the strange loop idea is all about, is your self-perception. But I want to say that I think, and I think this is going to be a struggle for some people who see the show or read the show, is the highly sexual content just in that the play talks about sex and there's a sex scene and, and all that um, and the play is sort of frank about the experience of sex and from a black gay queer perspective I said gay and queer I don't know why I said that but there you go because it's frank about that experience it some people are going to be really uncomfortable some people are going to say nobody should ever see this kind of a play right that's that is a perception that's going to be out there but I want to bounce back that this play only works because Michael R. Jackson is willing to be honest and present that too much information. Because if you're going to have a play that's about what goes on in your head as you experience the world, especially Michael R. Jackson's head and all the specific, unique, personal struggles that he has had, and you're going to sanitize that, it doesn't work. No. Because we know what we're experiencing is not honest. 
You're going to try to tell us this is what's going on in your head. I know what goes on in my head. And I can tell you that is not what goes on in your head. You didn't swear once through the play. I've been swearing in my head for days now after I hit my ankle on what, you know, I mean, so it only works, I think, because he's willing to make us uncomfortable uncomfortable with who he is, which I think if we're all honest, we're worried about making people uncomfortable with who we are, right? That's part of the inner monologue of humanity. And he is willing to do something that is, I think that there's probably something problematic about saying it's brave. So I just want to acknowledge that. But I do think it's brave. I mean, his willingness to be open and embarrassing and himself and all of the parts of himself that are going to make us uncomfortable, but also make us laugh and cry and and, and try to have empathy with a, a totally different person than the person that we are. I mean, because he's willing to do all of that, this musical works. It clicks together. But if, if you sanitize down to just the things that aren't uncomfortable, that aren't sexual, that aren't swearing, that aren't whatever objection you have to the content, then it's not going to work. Yeah, the honesty is lost in the space that is trying to be cre- trying to be created both by him to have this honest space and then also for the audience to uh, witness an honest an honest uh, telling of someone's story evaporates if you if you pull that all away. Um, and, and some some somehow it, somehow it works right with that with that sort of honesty and willingness to to just say what your interior monologue is stuff that's that's going on all the time anyway that we all have going on in our head uh, somehow that that sort of honesty creates that that space that allows us to to uh, respond in kind or at least opens the opportunity for us to respond in kind. And so in that way, the musical is about. Uh, queerness, it's about blackness and both of those in a space that's primarily dominated by straightness and whiteness. It's all about that in the social commentary and in the personal experience of that. And then there's another level, which is uh, perhaps a more universal sort of message or experience of the play, which is about what it means to be an I, what it, right, an, a, a yourself, and what it means to be honest and open about who that I is and whether you even can tell who the I is. I mean, I think that's ultimately the conclusion of the Strange Loop song at the end is, how do I even know what I is? And that kind of commentary can only be reached by uh, Michael R. Jackson's openness and honesty with the I. And if that makes people uncomfortable, which it's inevitably going to, then think about your own internal monologue and what would make people uncomfortable in your own internal <laughs> monologue. And just recognize, I think, if, if you're going to struggle with some of what's in the musical, that if you're going to write a musical that is open and honest about what goes on in your head, you're going to create that same kind of uncomfortability. And if you're honest, at times, inappropriateness. Right, right. And, and somehow, uh, with all of this honesty and all this inappropriateness and all of this uh, kind of hard content, it's a, a hilarious play. Oh, so fun. Um, just so fun. The songs so are... rocking. Yeah, the right, music. Right, yeah. Somehow it's somehow the songs are both speak to that grittiness and that hardness and also somehow communicate upliftingness in the middle of it all. It's 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 a masterfully done play. We're coming around to the end of our conversation. There's still so much more conversation to have around it. So we'd love to keep getting to talk to uh, all of you out there. Let's push the conversation out there to all of you out there in podcast land. If you have seen a strange loop or read it or been a part of it, we'd love to continue talking about it with you. You can find us on 
Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at NoScriptPodcast. We also have a Gmail, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on any of those sites. We love to keep talking about a strange loop with you. Absolutely. We are thrilled to be into season seven now, reading plays that are all different kinds of plays, and we've got a great season lined up. If you want to recommend this podcast, the season, last season, any of our other episodes, whatever, send people to our <laughs> Podbean where we're hosted, but they can also find us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, or if you just want to like us on Facebook, there'll be a link to the new episode every Monday when it's posted, and an ad every Wednesday or Thursday for what episode is coming up. So that's an easy way to keep connected with us um, over there on Facebook. So until next week, next week, not months from now, when we are talking about another play, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script, the podcast. We'll see ya.